0: Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, as always, glad to be able to connect with you, whether you're live on our Moss campus or whether you are live stream. And, And this series, as the video just showed you, it is about moving our own lives, our own faith, from E to F, from empty to full, so that our, our uh, living relationship with other people and with our God has a little bit of extra oomph and maybe some more punch to our beliefs. Today's message, the third in the series, is called Healing and Curing. And if you have your Bible with you, it comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, and verses 32 through 42. So you may have a Bible that looks like this, or it may be loaded on your phone, however you have it locate the book of Acts chapter 9, and, and if you don't have a Bible that looks like this and it's not on your phone and you're wondering what are you going to do, the good news is that the words will be up on the screen at just the right time like they always are when we gather together. We think that's super important because we really want you to have your own encounter with the Scripture on a Sunday morning or any time that we gather because we believe a couple things about the Bible and we just keep reminding ourselves of these things whenever we gather together. One of the things that we believe about the Bible is that this looks like a book, but it is not a book. It's a library, collection of a lot of books written by many authors over a long span of time. The book of Acts is a little slice of history in the New Testament. It describes the growth and the expansion and the development of the early church for about the first 20 or 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. It's also written by Luke the author of the Gospel of Very good. And so Acts is really Luke, Volume 2. And uh, again, that's just a fact. A lot of people don't know it, but it, but it is true. The other thing that we believe about the Bible moves into that realm of just deeply held conviction, treasured belief. And you may not share it, or when I tell you what we believe, you may be like, yes, thank you, a church that believes that and talks about it. But it's this. In leadership here, we believe there's no other library like the Bible. We believe that God breathed His life into its words. He put His truth onto its pages. We really do believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And because we believe that in leadership here, we do this kind of different thing when we talk about the Bible. We lift it up. And and if you've never been here before and you're seeing phones and Bibles in the air and you're like, that's just a little bit weird. You know what we say? We admit it. We don't get defensive, but we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people who don't have it all figured out, but we are joyfully surrendered to the authority of the Word and ready for His power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? And before I say another word, let's pray. So God, thank You for Your Word, and thank You that the Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to record these remarkable history uh, in the book of Acts. Thank you that that same Holy Spirit is alive and moving and active, and I pray, God, that He would fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with everything that's good and everything that's right and everything that's filled with joy about the gospel of Jesus. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, if... uh, If I get a little bit keyed up today, if I'm a little bit maybe too excited, it's because I just think it's really cool what we get to do today. We we get to look at a story couplet, a story right after a story. That in over 30 years of being a preacher, doing this kind of thing on a Sunday morning, first of all, I didn't even really know this story couplet was in the Bible. And so i like, well, then why are you being a preacher? I don't know. And then, and then once I realized that it was in the Bible, I was like, I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I don't think I'm going to preach on that one. And you know why? You, you know why? For years and years and years, I had thought that I would not preach on this stuff, this story, because deep down, I didn't really believe it happened the way that it says it happened. I was like, really? We're supposed to believe that? And think about it, here, uh, for a living and as a calling, I stand up and I give messages on behalf of a man who rose from the dead, and there was a story in Scripture that I was a little bit hesitant to dig into publicly because it involves someone who, wait for it, wait for it, rises from the dead. You see, the, the, the talk today, the stories today, the healing couplet, the story couplet today is all about healing and it is all about curing. And few topics within the church, within the life of faith, generate more conversation or even more controversy than healing. I mean, think, think about the different reactions to the topic of healing. Great joy because people get healed. It's happened to me, it's happened to a lot of you. Great, great joy. But another reaction is great skepticism. Because you've seen those ministries on television and you've seen the abuses that they contain. And you've been like, can we get that program taken off the air? Because it's given all of us a bad name. And then maybe great sadness you got great joy and great skepticism and great sadness because so many of you have lived through that reality of the healing that is given to one person being withheld from someone else. And I know that, that even in, in, in my case, as I, as I think about God's role in, in healing and in curing, I've had a lot of disappointment just since March of 2020. Because in March of 2020, or February of 2020 maybe, as, as we were first hearing the news reports, I, I was like, I am going to pray that that virus thing is just going to dissipate, and God's going to have to listen to me because I'm the pastor of Good Shepherd, and I just prayed that that virus would, would dissipate, and instead, what did it do? It devastated And there's even been, in the the coronavirus era, there's been non-corona-related illnesses, even in our church, and I prayed in faith for healing. and, And instead of celebrating healing, I've presided at memorial services. And so, yeah, it's a, it, it's a subject that has a lot of controversy, a lot of differences of opinion. Great joy, God heals. Great sadness, why doesn't he always? And with all of that baggage, even my own skepticism of the story that we're going to look at today, with all that baggage, I, I stand up this morning and I can't wait to tell you the thing that I'm going to tell you. Been looking forward all week to be able to share this thing that I'm going to let you know about in just a few moments. Because the story and the thing that I'm going to tell you comes from Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, you may not know this, or you may, but it's such an interesting pivot point. Not only in the book of Acts, but in the history of the early church. Because, again, as you may or may not know, and either way is okay, but in the early part of the book of Acts, Peter, the the Saint Peter, the St. Peter's Basilica you've heard of in Rome, Peter is like the star of the show along with the Holy Spirit. He's the dominant figure of the early part of the book of Acts. And then in the second half of the book of Acts the dominant figure is Paul. And right, the the same Paul who wrote so many letters that we read about in the New Testament. And and, and yet right here in the kind of the middle of the book of Acts, it's like a tug of war. Who's gonna be the star of the show? Is it Peter or is it Paul or is it Peter or is it Paul? And and Luke is is, is both the author and the referee of this back and forth between the two. And and it's really interesting to, to, to know that Peter and Paul, they knew one another and they mostly liked each other. Mostly. And this is a, this is a Peter story that we're going to look at. Take a look at it. Luke or Acts. You can go to Luke, but I won't be there. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter, that's how you know it's a Peter story. You're welcome. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Now, where and what is Lydda? Lydda was a small village about 25 miles north and west of Jerusalem in what is today Israel. And this lets us know that Peter is ministering with, visiting with people who are of Jewish ancestry, and yet they follow Jesus. So That's why it's calling them the Lord's people. Verse 33, there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Years. So Peter goes to Lydda and there he sees a man who is paralyzed. And Luke doesn't tell us why uh, Aeneas has been paralyzed for eight years. I mean, was it polio? Maybe. Was it a rock climbing accident? Possibly. Was it a skydiving accident? Absolutely not. We, 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 we don't know exactly why or how he became paralyzed. Luke withholds some of, the, some of the details we want to know, which actually is kind of one of Luke's specialty. Sometimes it's almost as if he's playing with his audience. I'm not going to tell you everything that you want to know, but we, he tells us what we need to know. And look what happens next in, in verse 34. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mouth. I love this. Because Peter, as you may know, from the beginning of the book of Acts, his own tank has gone from E to F. His life has been filled with God, the Holy Spirit, and you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, and if you weren't here then, I'm so glad you're here today, but a couple weeks ago we learned that the Holy Spirit's primary ministry is to deflect attention away from himself and put it on Jesus, that he's the great spotlighter. And so look at Peter, he's so filled with the Holy Spirit, all he can do is say, Jesus Christ heals you. I can't tell you how much I love it. And you know, don't you, that ministries that we maybe have a little bit of skepticism towards who are involved in healing, that's when the guys act like they're the ones doing the healing or that Jesus has to obey their orders. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ heals you. And I love his other instruction when he says, get up and roll your mat. It's, just, it's as if he's saying to Aeneas, you have to own your own healing. God won't do for you what he needs to do with you. God's not looking for pawns. He's looking for partners. And look at the outcome of this man who was paralyzed and is now ambulatory. Look what it says in verse 35. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon. And you're like, what is Sharon? And Sharon is a, a suburb of Lydda, it's kind of Lydda is Charlotte and Sharon is Steel Creek. That's what. Can I hear an amen for that? That's, that's what's going on there. And so everybody who lives in Lydda and in Sharon, notice this, saw him and turned to the Lord. So there's this, this healing miracle w- that really serves a larger purpose of people turning their lives around and giving their lives to Jesus in faith. Tuck that away because it might just pop up again because I mentioned when we first started that we're looking at a healing couplet, a story couplet, a story piled on to another story because Peter, in Luke's hands, is just getting started. Look, Look what happens in verse 36. In Joppa, now hold right there, in Joppa, do you know? And if you don't know, it's okay. You know who else went to Joppa? Jonah. So, Whatever is this is Luke's way of letting us know that whatever's fixing to happen, Luke was from the south, so he said stuff's fixing to happen, what, whatever's fixing to happen is going to remind you at least a little bit of three days in the belly of a fish guy. So in Joppa, next phrase, there was a disciple named Tabitha, in Greek, her name is Dorcas, and we're like, well Luke, which do you want us to call her? Do Should we call her Tabitha or Dorcas? And Luke is like, yes. And, and, and the name, whether it's Tabitha in the Hebrew or Dorcas in the Greek, it, it means, in both languages, it means gazelle. So this is a woman who's named gazelle, so we're going to call her gazelle lady, if that's okay with you. And, and notice, notice the kind of person gazelle lady is. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Luke wants you to know, this gazelle lady, she is a good woman. She, she has, she's a woman of noble character. And he wants you to know that because look what happens in the very next phrase, verse 37. About that time, she became sick and died. And the reason, the reason those two phrases are right on top of each other is because Luke's original audience, and that's who he's writing for, wasn't written to us, preserved for us, but it was written to his original audience. When they heard that someone died suddenly, they would have immediately thought, well, what did she do wrong? What was her sin that caused her to die so quickly? And Luke's like, nothing. She just died. So here's a a, a good woman, gazelle lady, and she died. And look at the next phrase. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. And and, and that's Luke's way of letting us know she's getting ready to be buried. just, Just like in Muslim countries today where there's no embalming and there's no cremation, death is followed very, very quickly by burial for all kinds of reasons that make all kinds of sense. And, and that's what they were getting ready to do with Gazelle Woman. They, she was dead, and they were getting ready to bury her. Well, look at, look at verse 38. Lydda, remember, that's where Peter had healed Aeneas. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Now, can I confess, I have a little bit of problem with this. Because what they're doing there in Joppa is they've heard Peter's in the area and they're like, we need to get us a celebrity prayer. Peter's in the area, and we need him to come and pray over this dead body that is in front of us. At our healing services, we are we, at Good Shepherd, we're very clear to say every time we gather that we don't have celebrity prayers at this church because the Holy Spirit is the only celebrity we need. Thank you for amending that because I believe that. And yet, these people. I, I, they just have to answer for this, don't they? They, they go and, and get their celebrity, prayer, preacher. But whatever problem I have with verse 38 is nothing compared to the problem I have with verse 39. Because look what happens in verse 39. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where Gazelle Lady is. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. I'm like, what? There's a dead lady here that I'm here to pray for and you're taking me to a glorified consignment sale? Why are you giving me this fashion show of her fabrics and her robes and all this stuff she made? I don't care about any. I would have said, I don't care about any of that stuff. We've got to pray over this poor woman before they put her in the ground. And and, and so I I don't know if Peter had more sensitivity than I would have in, in, in that situation. But I would have been very impatient. I don't need a fashion show right now. We absolutely need to pray. And look look at verses 40 and 41 when Luke describes what happens next. And and if you have your Bible with you or or you have it any way that you can circle words or highlight them on your phone, I I want you to note every verb because it's remarkable. Look what happens. Peter sent, that's First verb, sent them all out of the room. And then he got down, that's the next verb, on his knees and prayed, another verb. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. And he took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive all these verbs he takes her by the hand he gets down he prays he helps her up he presents them to them all this delicate detailing of the minor little actions that peter takes and do you know why luke writes it that way it's his way of saying i was there people I'm not making this stuff up. I was in the room when Peter, by the Holy Spirit's power, was able to pray a dead woman back to life. And I was there and I saw it happen. And even though you weren't there like I was, I'm going to write it in such a way so that you feel like you are there. It's remarkable. It's brilliant. And when you realize that Luke is not only a doctor but he's also a reporter. It's like his two skills meet in this perfect collision in Tabitha's room. I'm gonna get all the notes down. I'm gonna tell you what happened. I am not making all of this stuff up. And I kind of love, I kind of love what it says she did in verse 41. No, the end of verse 40 where Peter said to her, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Now think about it. If she had been dead, she was probably with the Lord. And she opens her eyes and she sees Peter and she had to be disappointed. What a, what a buzzkill. Ca- oh, you? I was in the presence of the Lord and now I got you. But again, Luke doesn't tell us that. We, we just can infer it. Luke, Luke, we, we want to read the story between the lines. Luke just gives us the lines and the lines are brilliant including the line that summarizes the whole story, look what happens in verse 42. This, meaning the healing, became known all over Joppa and many people believed, one more verb, and that's the most important verb of them all, many people believed in the Lord. And you see all of a sudden that the same thing that happened up in Lydda, That after Aeneas was healed, what did it say? The whole village turned to the Lord. And what happens after uh, Tabitha Dorcas gazelle lady raises from the dead, many believed. And it's as if Luke is letting us know the miracle is always in service of the message. That the healing and the curing that happens is always so that people surrounding those folks will know that Jesus is Lord and there is no other. That the reason that verse 35 and verse 42 say essentially the same thing, people saw these healings and they believed is to let us know the resurrected king who's resurrecting me and he's the point of the miracle. Because think about it this way, good shepherd. I don't know if you thought about it. Every one of these two people, Aeneas who got up to walk and, and maybe even Tabitha, gazelle lady who got up from the dead, She later died. Her her healing was only temporary. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we do. She is not still walking around among us. That would be in the news. And Aeneas, though he rose up ambulatory, he later lost the ability to walk and lost the ability to live, and he too, dead, buried, out of the way. Every curing. That the Lord does is ultimately only temporary. Anytime someone is healed in one of our healing services, at some point in the future, the- death is batting a thousand. And at some point in the future, that same person is going to die as well. And that's why Luke wants us to know, I'm telling you these healing stories, there's a healing pylon, a couplet of curing stories, because the whole reason I'm telling you, giving you this, showing you this miracle is because it serves the message. And the message is that these folks turned to the Lord, and they didn't have their bodies cured, they had their souls healed. Because when they turned to the Lord in faith and they began to trust Jesus as Lord and as Savior, that means that at the end of everything, they, those are the people who will in fact live forever. And when I realize that, when I realize, oh man, Luke is such a great storyteller. And these are such great events because here's the point of it all. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus cures some so that he can heal all. Jesus cures some bodies so that he can heal all souls. Because anyone in this place who has lived through the most miraculous healing story that we can envision, at some point, at some point, you'll pass on to the next life. And Luke wants us to know that, Whether or not you are prepared for that next life, that's the healing that God really wants to do because know this, good shepherd, that if you die in the Lord, you will never be more alive than you are at that moment. You you will never be thriving more than when, after you've died, you are in the presence of the king, giving him honor and giving him glory. You're never more alive than you are after you've died. That's why Jesus put it this way. Look look at what Jesus said in John chapter 11, in verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Get this. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Or it's why, why Paul describes his own life and his own faith when he's writing to the Philippian church. It's why he said, says it this way. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I could have every blessing, every curing, every benefit of life on earth, but none of that matters anything in comparison to life after death. That's when we really come to life. That's when we really thrive the most. Jesus cures some so he can heal all. If you've, if you've ever lived through a, where, where an ailment or a condition was cured, the reason that Jesus did that in your life was not so that you could hoard it, not so that you could turn it into a cul-de-sac. God does it. Isn't God good? He, he, he loves me so much. It's so that you could share that news. You could pave the way for other people in turn to say yes to Jesus for all of eternity. It's like what happened to a, a, a pastor up in Pennsylvania. Check it out. One time I prayed. This is the pastor writing. I prayed for a man who had cancer. And his wife called me a few days later and said... He died. I've had those calls. I felt terrible. Sure that she was going to be mad at me for not praying well enough and at God for not healing him. But that's not what happened. She said this When he came into your church, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to die soon, and he hated God for taking him at 58. But since you prayed, the last three days have been some of the best of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture. So I am calling to thank you for laying hands on him and praying for healing. He was not cured, but he was healed. Can I hear an amen for that? Jesus cures some so he can heal all. Now, please, please do not hear what I am not saying. I believe God heals on earth sick people, infirm people, people with chronic conditions. It's happened to me, it's happened to a lot of you, and I believe this, as well, more of you. God has given more of you the gift of praying for healing on behalf of other people than realize, than you realize. You think it's just for the spiritual superstars and, and God wants you to, no, 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 no. I am pouring this gift of healing out on this church and, and I'm pouring this gift of healing out on a lot more of you than realize. I believe that. It's just that now I know the purpose. And the purpose for any miracle any of us ever experience is never the miracle. The miracle always serves the message. And the message that Je- is that Jesus is Lord and there is no other. He's not sharing space on that throne with anybody. And in fact, everyone who we pray for, everyone who's ever cured in, in our lifetime... That's going to be temporary because there's one final enemy Jesus has not defeated yet or whose defeat has not been made public yet. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And until that enemy is destroyed fully and finally and publicly, we get to celebrate those ways that Jesus cures some as a way to pave the way for healing all. Kind of like, kind of like what happened to my friend, Kate Agrawal. Check it out up on the screen.
1: My name's Kate Agrawal. Uh, My husband, Andy, and I have been attending Good Shepherd Church for about 25 years now, along with our three children, Nick, Alec, and Amanda. About six months ago I went to my general doctor just for my routine annual physical and during that physical she heard something strange in my carotid artery and decided she would send me for um, an ultrasound. Uh, a couple weeks later had that appointment scheduled and She called me back fairly quickly and said that I was going to need to go back for further study and that she wanted me also to see an oncologist. Um, Very quickly we learned that I had a significant mass in the lower right lobe of my lung. Um, From there I had an MRI, um, which also found that I had a cyst on my kidney and I had a lymph node that was enlarged and was of great concern. The plan was to figure out what needed to be done next. You know, do we need to remove the lung? Do we need to remove this mass? The term non-smoker's cancer was um, discussed. So. Needless to say, that was some scary information. At that point, I decided it's time to tell my kids that maybe we had some things to start praying about.
0: Good morning, Good Shepherd, whether you are- We went to church the following week.
1: I think it was probably Mother's Day. Talbot was doing, I think, a series on Who's Your One. That sermon really struck me. Um, My one was my mother. She passed in December of 2019. She was so at peace. I felt at several times during this process that maybe I needed to witness that so that if the Lord was going to call me home, that I would be okay with it. As I'm sitting there listening to Talbot's sermon, it's all about faith. If you have faith, trust in God, He'll get you through. I was sitting there and I just I knew right then that I would be okay. I didn't know if I was gonna have to lose my lung. I didn't know if I was gonna go to the Lord, but I knew it was gonna be okay. And I walked out of church, and I looked at Andy, and I said, it's going to be okay." And I'm crying now, but it's because I really did know, and I had so much peace. My son Alec and his wife Caroline were in a prayer group. He said that their prayer group not only prayed that the mass to my lung would be removed, but they prayed that the lymph node uh, would be removed. When I heard from the oncologist after I went for the, the next scan on May 20th, um, and the oncologist was just beside herself, she said, Kate, you're not gonna believe this. I said, what? And she goes, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And I said, w- what do you mean? And she said, the mass is gone, but your lymph node is gone. And she said, Kate, lymph nodes don't go away. They shrink in size, but they do not go away. And it was there two weeks ago, and it is gone. So, and it, I just said, God is good. And she said, you think? I said, yeah. My mom always said, worry changes nothing. Give it to God and all will be well. If you keep your faith, there's no storm you can't weather. It's just such an amazing freedom.